We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and Matt Brooks. Fellas, how are we doing? Uh, I'm I'm good. That was probably not the most interesting <laughs> basketball game, but I'm good otherwise. Nice busy day. I don't know. How about you guys? Uh, very convincing, Matt. I'm well, mate. I didn't watch this game. What happened? What's going on? I got we, we had the Nets go. Yeah, you were lucky enough not to watch this game. It was almost the complete opposite of what we saw yesterday against the Bucks. Nets had a terrible loss to the Celtics, 149-115. Before we dive into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. And this episode is presented by dealdash.com. But let's get into this mess. All right. Um, sometimes I like it when I'm teaching during the day and I don't see sometimes uh, basketball games. This is definitely one of those times. But we'll get stuck into it, I guess, guys. What, Matt, what changed to you or the biggest changes to you from this, from the Bucks game to this Celtics loss? Uh, no zone defense, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if it really would have mattered, though, because regardless, like, that, that, that Celtics team, they're just better at pull-up shooting than the Bucks. They just are. So when you have Jason Tatum like sidestepping into threes and stuff, there's really not much you can do. Um, that's how they're going to beat teams. That's how they were engineered to beat teams was this kind of like pull-up shooting, uh, difficult three-point shot style of basketball. And when it looks good, they're really, really tough to beat. And I think the Buck, the Buck or the, the Nets learned that firsthand tonight. So 
I, I wouldn't fret too much if I were Vaughn and the coaching staff. I mean, I think no matter what defense you're throwing at them, it wouldn't have really made a difference. Yeah, especially the way they were hitting threes. I mean, they shot 51% from three. Jason Tatum was hitting threes over Jared Allen, playing good defense. Jalen yep. Brown was hot. And I even think they actually ran zone for like a few possessions, but it just got cooked so fast because they have so many good three-point shooters that it was just like, all right, I'm not sure what we really can do here. And when a team shoots 51% from deep and you're already outmatched from a talent perspective, it's just going to be a long night. And the Celtics were getting to the free throw line at a really high rate to start this game and the Nets weren't so it was just like two major factors going against you when you're already in such a talent differential you know it just never really looked good from Brooklyn's perspective yeah you like uh, think about zone as being something that like you actually is a little bit worse in terms of defending three-point yeah heavy teams so that yeah that's a great point that you just made because yeah. I mean especially when they have so many good three-point shooters or at least they're all hot and Marcus Mart's a guy yeah. that's like in between where like he occasionally hits good but what didn't even like Daniel Thice knock down a couple threes tonight or he knocked down one but still yeah. it's just like one of those nights where you just weren't going to win when the team's that much better than you and they're that hot from deep yeah because like the Celtics are like a little one of those teams a little bit closer to league average in terms of three-point shooting but like they're also a team that is you know like it all comes through like I feel like they're one of those teams that like if their stars are hitting these crazy you know shots that they were hitting tonight then that just bleeds out into the rest of the team so they I don't know it's it's just bad night for the Nets and and I, you know their offense is only so good <laughs> so if you have if you're going against a team scoring what 150 points in a game um not that much you can do yeah and like so 115 isn't bad for the Nets <laughs> Yeah, yeah, glass half full, I guess, Nick. Um, normally, yeah, that is your job. You're the optimistic one. Matt's going to be the, the middle guy for us going forward. You know, I'm the pessimist, Nick's the optimist, and Matt's the realist. There we go. We've all got our role <laughs> in the podcast going forward. But, uh, Nick, you sort of touched on it a little bit, the free throws. Uh, the Nets took 21, hit 17 of them. The Celtics took 35 and, took, and hit 29 of them. Matt, was that bad defense, poor officiating, combination of both? What happened there? Uh, I felt like it was a little bit of like not great uh, defense tonight, especially from I, I believe it was, it was definitely Kurooks. Kurooks had some like fouls that weren't great. I know one of them was a little questionable. I want to say TLC fouled here and there too. I mean, just overall, like they closed out because the Celtics were like hitting so well, you know, like so efficiently from three. Um, the Nets really started closing out pretty aggressively. I believe Joe Harris uh, fouled a three-point shooter, which you like rarely see him do. So, I mean, it just was kind of an all that culmination from these these guys just coming so hot out of the gates. Um, Boston, I mean. Yeah, I want to say Ryan Rucco said that the Nets fouled three-point shooters four times during this game, which is just crazy wow. right off the bat. And then, like you mentioned, Matt, I think positionally, like the Nets just didn't put themselves in a great defensive position on some of the possessions. They were able to kind of get the step, and the Nets had a foul or it just got to the point where the miscommunication was there was somebody under the rim, and the best thing to do was kind of smack at the ball, and that's what the Nets ended up doing. And again, it's like when the other team is so much better than you and you can't defend them because it's not like we're talking about an all-defensive team in the Nets – then you're going to end up fouling. Hey, don't put the slander on Jeremiah Martin's name like that. Let's get to <laughs> Jeremiah Martin, Matt Brooks. Let's get to the positives. Is he the new third star? TLC, we've discarded <laughs> you, Jeremiah Martin. You're in. Uh, that's the fun part about, like, this team is, like, because they're so young, like, different guys are going to pop on different nights. So, like, I, I don't know. Like, I always kind of like <laughs> – I, I like lottery teams for that reason. Um, you just have different guys pop every night. I mean, like it, the jumper is a little bit of a question for him. And like, I think that'll be the difference between him becoming like 
a really it's funny like they have a bunch of really solid third point guards on this team so I don't know who's going to come out on top if any of them do for next season but like between him and Tyler Johnson and, and Chioza who's a little bit more of a distributor like he's got a real chance to become something because of his defensive prowess I mean he he really gets in there and, and he defends hard and I, 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 I really enjoyed watching that and I've enjoyed watching him so far Somebody I know asked me about Jeremiah Martin. They were like, who's that guy in the nets with a weird jumper, the lefty? And I was like, you know, so he's, weird. He's, he's pretty good. He's just got to develop that shot defensively. The effort's really there. We saw some really nice drives and some nice kicks tonight from him. I mean, I think that part of his game is fine. But in the NBA, he's probably never going to really have that role. So like Matt said, it's going to be kind of be that defensive monster and then develop that three-point shot and be that 3 and D, you know, point guard, which could have a possible fit on next year's team. The question will be, you know, how fast he's, can he develop? that like we kind of mentioned on the last show yeah we here are the new jeremiah martin stand podcast at least until the <laughs> next one when it becomes i don't know dante hall but the it was a nice line from jeremiah martin 20 points had four assists as well um I, I know you guys were mentioning about his passing had a steal eight of 12 from the field two of four from three took a couple of free throws as well so he was probably the standout but the big three were back matt who stuck out to you out of karis uh jarrett and joe Karis Jarrett and Joe, that just sounds like a cool buddy cop show. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> I I think they all kind of gave you different things. Like, of anybody that stood out to me, though, I thought Joe, you're going to love this. I, I thought Joe Harris was really nice just in terms of they had, like, a little give-and-go chemistry with him and Jared Allen. And he just had a couple of really flashy finishes at the beginning of the game. I tweeted something about him, just, like, his offensive um, growth. It's pretty astounding for you know, what he was coming into the league. Yeah. I also thought Jared Allen was good at contesting the three. I mean, that was kind of promising. And and just to see him force Tatum into those tough shots, um, Tatum, of course, was hitting everything. But I, I thought that was very interesting. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I those guys, uh, they all showed up at different points. But those two especially were the ones that stood out to me for, for different reasons. Yeah, I felt like Karis was getting a little bit more attention and Joe and Jared were able to kind of step up and realize like, hey, the help's not going to be there. We keep running this give and go. I thought Jared Allen really, four assists is just a nice game for him. He also had a nice pass to Tyler Johnson as well. But I think that that finish from Harris early in the game where he just was kind of like using his pivot foot, he just looks so much more confident and control than what we saw when he first joined the Nets. Like that's something I would have never envisioned him doing. And now he does that type of thing almost on a nightly basis, especially in the bubble. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I'm always going to hold the memory of seeing Joe Harris when he was first with the Nets, you know, practicing his jumpers. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like this guy. And then the love blossom from, from there, we all know about that. But, it, and I think he mentioned, I'm not sure if it was earlier in the week or at a recent point where he was saying that, you know, he credits a lot of the, his development to Kenny Atkinson as as you would expect, he is more than just a prototypical uh, three-point shooter a la Duncan Robertson style. He has variety in his game. You know, we were sort of comparing and, and talking about Kyle Korver and JJ Redick, but Joe Harris is his own sort of prototype. You know, he, he loves to drive. You know, a couple of seasons ago, we talked about how he had, you know, one of the best driving percentages in the league. I think it was only second to LeBron James. So uh, it's always good to see him impact the game, even when the three ball isn't falling. You know, 14 points for him, one of five from three, but did hit uh, six or 14 from the field. So a decent enough game from him. He rebounded the ball well. Uh, you got um, Karis LeVert, obviously, you guys sort of alluded to, didn't have his best game. Was that Jalen Brown defending him a lot of the game? For the possessions that I did see, I mean, Jalen Brown is a, is a heck of a defender. Yeah, I thought they defended him well. Like, they kind of knew what they were going to, what he was going to do. I mean, 
I think the mid-range aspect of his game is still kind of new for opposing yeah. teams to see, so they're not quite, you know, fully used to that look. And unless I don't like, there was that story that came out about the Bucks, you know, or the Rockets coming out and sitting at the pool with love it the Nets, <laughs> uh, talking about how to beat the Bucks. I don't think anybody's doing that for the Nets. Like I don't think anybody's like <laughs> plotting on how to beat the. Uh, the, the bubble nets. So I, I think that's pretty new for a lot of teams to see. I know they're probably, they're likely doing film stuff and looking at things, but um, you know, it's still kind of new and teams aren't expecting it. So uh, that for now is definitely a big part of his game and he can just get those shots against just about anybody, but everything else, like they're going to take away those driving lanes that, you know, Jalen sent one of his shots just flying. So um, yeah, yeah I, I, I felt like that part of his game, they, they contained pretty well. And I think it's still a new factor for him getting more attention, you know, from the defense where he's not really anticipating all the double teams and spots because there was a couple times in this game early on, you see the four turnovers. Some of that I felt like he was trying to force passes, forcing it too much, where sometimes you just kind of have to let your teammates do their thing because you're getting more attention. And I think obviously he's going to learn more and going against a Boston defense that, like you guys mentioned, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, like plenty of good defenders to throw at you. And they're also great with helping. It feels like every Boston defender kind of yeah, just takes insane. that step closer to the paint that just makes it a little bit more difficult to make the pass or the drive that you want to make. Yeah, I mean, on, on Levert, I, I read some some nice stuff earlier in the week talking about Javon, how he was looking at giving him different angles to the basket and different angles to that mid-range shot. And it was fascinating to read. It, it's, it was good stuff. But, you know, let's rehash a topic, guys. I put out on Twitter, I was listening to the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, and they were analyzing the game and fit of Karis Levert going forward. And they quote, un, and John Hollinger, quote-unquote, called him, uh, could be a six-man and obviously would conflict with possibly Spencer Dinwiddie. But... Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 options every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use offer code BACKBOARD or DealDash.fm slash BACKBOARD. That's DealDash.fm slash BACKBOARD. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds and prop bets to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and Robert Horry. See what they had to say what it'll be like playing without fans. In a series, they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. What do you see? We'll probably bring this up on every damn podcast. We did it last pod as well. Um, or maybe it was two pods ago. Uh, podcast timelines are very, very tricky for me when we're recording this much. <laughs> but Matt, in general... Karis Avert as a six-man, Karis Avert as a third star. What do you think is more likely of an outcome for him within this Brooklyn Nets system in 2020-2021? Six-man uh, six for sure. Like, well, like in terms of like compared to being a star, I, I look, there have been certain points where I'm like, I wonder if he's a little bit closer to like a Will Barton than like 
okay. than whatever a star level player uh, which like and that sounds like a knock it isn't because i think he can be really valuable but like until he becomes a real two-way player or just becomes a little more comfortable as a passer like i i've been kind of waiting on it from him and now him you know sort of and i think he's making the right decision in terms of limiting his offensive game mostly to inside the arc i think that's probably the best thing he's almost like He's going the DeMar DeRozan route, which makes sense because they're both kind of herky-jerky players. So, I mean, in a way, like, yeah, maybe he can be like an all-star shooting guard that, you know, kind of is mostly score first. That's that's fine. But I do think in like the right role, he's probably like uh, in terms of like being on a championship team. Yeah, he's probably going to be playing with the bench a little bit more. I mean, I think they can make it work with him and Kyrie. um, But I think part of that would just be splitting those two guys up for a lot of these games. And, you know, and let him try to get his shots and get his rhythm essentially with the backups. And I, I, you know, that's a lot of work. And that's, you know, like, I don't know if it should take that much work to try to make all of this work. Yeah. Nick, I guess in in that sense, you've always been a a big proponent and a big lover of Carol Severt as as a passer and and as a a sort of playmaker uh, in, in yesteryear. Do you think he's lost some of that? Do you think he's regressed at all? I know that John Holland. No, just sort I of... think he's definitely, if anything, over the course of like the last month that we saw in the season, I thought that yeah. was a dynamic of his game. He was improving, and I think okay. everything you see in the bubble is always going to have to be taken with a grain of salt. New teammates, not NBA players necessarily fully on the court. But I agree with Matt in the sense, probably with this Brooklyn Nets team, unless he drastically improves his catch and shoot, you know, playing more of his minutes with the bench would probably make more sense doesn't even mean like he has to not be a starter. He can come off the bench. It doesn't really matter. It's just how you stagger those minutes and how he fits. And I think on certain teams, he might have a better fit with the starters. But given your best players, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, their best skills are, you know, scoring the basketball and having the ball in their hands. And Karis LeVert doesn't do it at a higher level than either of those guys. So it makes sense to separate them and, you know, partner Kyrie and Katie with guys that complement them more. Random use of stat time in, in relation to that. I put this out a little bit ago, but I've also got a bit of backup to it. Kyrie Irving and Carlos Avert as a two-man lineup in terms of the advanced stats, 105.4 offensive rating, 116.1 defensive rating, negative 0.7. Kyrie Irving and Spencer Dinwiddie, 117 mm-hmm. offensive rating, 110 defensive rating, plus seven net rating. Is there anything to read? I mean, we're getting on a bit of a tangent here, but there's not much to talk about with the game, I guess. So let's, just go, let's just go with it. Matt, is there anything to read into that? Yeah, I think there's, well, not like, I, it's obviously a small sample, but um, I thought that they ran some interesting sets with him and, and uh, with, with Spencer and Kyrie. So they they run this set. I think I've mentioned it a couple of times on this podcast now. I'm um, just repeating content over here. But uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, but they usually run this set. It's called a way where you run um, typically Joe Harris off of a stagger screen where you have two screens kind of facing the same way. And you run him, I'm sure you guys know the set. He runs around the top, goes to the top of the key, and and pulls up for three. They were running that with Kyrie and and Spencer Dinwiddie, and they ran it to pretty decent success. I mean, I believe Dinwiddie was around a 37, 38% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Um, It it was just one of those instances where it's like, oh, yeah, like this guy actually can operate off the ball a little bit more than I think we all realize. He just hasn't really been challenged in that way thus yet, uh, thus far. But, um, you know, even last year, like, you know, him and, and, and D'Angelo Russell, I think definitely had moments of prosperity together. So it's something to keep an eye on. I've actually weirdly been in the camp of keeping 
Dinwiddie a little bit even more than Karis LeVert, just because I, I think that there's something there with that. But it is an either-or thing. Like, it's whatever you can get. And I do think there is a move to be made. Like, to be completely honest with you, I really do. So um, it, I think there it, whatever of those two earns a little bit more on the market, that's the move you want to take. Presumptively, that would probably be Karis LeVert right now. Yeah, I think you look at it, obviously, the numbers, you can only look into so much. And I would say some of the numbers you saw with Karis and Kyrie were early in the season where the whole team was pretty bad. But I would say that, like, Spencer's always been a guy that's a little bit more adaptable. Like, we've seen him in the past have to fill in so many different roles for the team. So you're probably a little bit more comfortable with that. Like Matt said, Levert's probably has a little bit more value on the market because you can talk yourself into Levert having a higher ceiling than Spencer Dinwiddie. Like, that's a possibility for a team out there where that could be a sell where, you know, Spencer is more of like who he's probably going to be, which isn't even a bad player. He's a fringe all-star who can fit so many different roles, and there's definitely a spot for him on a championship team. I guess in saying that, we heard Kevin Durant jump on a podcast this week. Um, Nick, I know you posted the clip. Do you want to provide a bit of background to it? He had a little bit of words to say about uh, Cheesy. Um, I don't know why I'm calling him Cheesy. Um, and he also <laughs> I had like some, it. He also had some words <laughs> to say about uh, the man we've been speaking about, Karis What was... What was he alluding to, uh, number seven for the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, he also had something nice to say about Spencer Dooney a little bit earlier in the podcast, too. I wasn't able to clip everything. Didn't want to get too crazy. But <laughs> nah, you got to do it, mate. I love that stuff. <laughs> Whenever I listen to a podcast and there's at least some semblance of Nets talk, always gets a couple of likes on Twitter. Come on. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of talked about, you know, being impressed with Karras and what he's seen with him in Brooklyn and that he's different and he has just a quick step, you know, that strong ability. He talked about Chioza having that NBA factor. So it seemed like both guys have rubbed KD the right way. But Katie also mentioned later in the podcast how like he hasn't even thought about next year's team and he's not even sure about how that's going to go because they asked him about like Jamal Crawford or I think even Chioza being on the team. And he's like, you know, we haven't even looked at that. So as much as we could buy into like him liking Spencer or liking Karras, it might not mean that he likes him enough that he needs them on his championship team. And we also know that Spencer did what he it was a, a big proponent in recruiting Kyrie Irving. Uh, Matt, apart from Michael Beasley, uh, and you're, <laughs> who is going to be on the Nets next season out, out of these sort of guys? I mean, is Joe Harris, I guess, that lock? Yeah. Oh, my God. I hope so. I, I would I would really hope they, they do that. It just doesn't make any sense to, like, let him walk because you're not going to get somebody who fills the role that he does with yeah. the money that they're operating with. Like, I just... Uh, that would be pretty inexcusable for me. He's just, he's a very good player. You need that guy. Even if he's not, you're starting whatever, shooting guard, small forward. Um, you definitely need him. Like, I think he's a big piece off the bench. He can he can do quite a bit for you. Um, outside of that, yeah, I mean, I think all these guys that are sort of hanging around, I, I, I think one of the three, if if not two of the, the, the three point guards that are in the bubble right now, I think have a shot at landing on there. Um, Pooch, when we did our, our little pre-bubble stream, um, we talked about Beasley specifically as somebody that he expects to be on their training camp roster. I, I would also expect the same for Jamal Crawford. So I, I think any of the guys that they signed kind of out of the blue for this bubble, I don't think it's a coincidence. And I think that's something to keep an eye on for them next year. Uh, outside of that, I, I, it's, I have no idea which of Karis and Spencer or either of them are going to be there. And Jared Allen, too. I, I just have no clue. I'm also really, honestly, I'm sorry, I'm rambling on and on here. But, um, Garrett Temple's another one I'm curious about. Like, really, yeah. really, really curious. Because 
I don't think he was personally worth the MLE this year. Like, I, I think you probably could have gotten him for the vet min, if I'm being completely yeah. 100% transparent about this. Like, I just, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't something that I felt like was a home run. And I actually really, I mean, look, he defends hard, but I didn't really feel like he was a giant net positive. I'm sure there's some advanced stat that's going to make me look like an idiot. But, you know, maybe as like an, a ninth man, tenth man, sure. But I'd be curious to see if that relationship with, with Kyrie especially continued to go strong or or if in playing together this year, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just curious to see if that bond continued to to fortify. Um, and then otherwise, I have no idea on some of these other guys. The younger guys, who knows? I mean, just who knows? Yeah, I think uh, Nets have a team option on Garrett Temple. So that's a big question mark. And I've kind of felt the same way, Matt, because it's like he has that connection to Kyrie, but is he really worth that money? Or is that maybe even a contract you could use to trade because you're going to be limited in terms of the moves you can make? And I would say on the Joe Harris front, at very minimum, you have to sign them, even if it's like a sign and trade, because you have to get assets back for a player like that. And you're never going to you're not going to be able to attain any more talent. So I would just look to retain him. And I'm not sure anybody else in the roster compliments Kyrie and Katie any better than he does. And then in terms of like Spencer and Karras, it's probably going to be one of the two unless there's a big star trade. But it just makes sense to trade one of those guys and upgrade your forward position. There's no need really to have three really good guards anymore. Like if you have two really good guards, Katie has that skill set. We've talked about all the backup guards where they have options to choose from. And on Jamal Crawford front, Katie had really nice things to say about him on the podcast and even mentioned having a guy like Crawford as your 14th or 15th man on the roster just as a veteran. Yeah, I mean, that that spot on the roster is essentially what Jared Dudley is for the Lakers right now. Yeah. And I think Jamal Crawford is probably a better player with more talent. And we've seen, we saw that in like five minutes, he had like five points, and including a three there. So uh, I guess, Nick, you're telling me that Lance Thomas isn't the power forward of the future? <laughs> God, I'm not <laughs> even sure if he's going to last the rest of the bubble. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've, we've talked a lot about sort of non-game stuff, Matt, but was there anything else from this game that were takeaways? You know, the, the form of Kuruts, is that worrying you at all? Uh, Chioza, did he continue that form? Obviously, not necessarily the most efficient night for him. Um, did his size affect him against the, I guess, the overbearing and physicality and, and height and length of, of the uh, Boston Celtics? And, and TLC is no longer uh, a Brooklyn Buzz stand, but uh, yeah. we discarded him <laughs> like yesterday's dinner. What stood out to you? That TNT that graphic got to his head. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, Garrett Temple, then it's TLC. It's got to be Jeremiah Martin next game. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Next game. But any takeaways from this one that we haven't chatted about, Matt? Uh, Chioza is a good one to bring up. I, exactly what you said um, is is pretty much what I saw. Like every time he tried to go into the lane or really go through the teeth of the defense, he just went nowhere. Like he went nowhere today. And this is one of these days where I'm like, all right, like this guy's probably a third guard. I don't think you could, you know, like if you had him night after night be your backup point guard, um, I don't know what that would look like as as you get further and further into the season and even against other playoff teams in the regular season. So, um, you know, I, I really like him. I think he's an awesome, awesome spark. And I, I do enjoy quite a bit when he gets minutes. And maybe, yeah, he does grow into that And he as he figures out the, the flow of the game. But as of right now, I was just like, boy, this is a big game. And this is a team that, I mean, that Celtics team, they can just switch everything. And they, they you know, they trap hard and, and they force doubles on you. And for a Nets team that's already down a, a million and a half lead ball handlers, um, that is a tough spot for him to be in. 
Yeah, I think just physically there's going to be limitations on his game, and it's like unless he can improve in other areas to make those limitations kind of hidden a little bit more, it's going to be tough for him to get on the floor, especially in like a playoff format. So like you said, I think third guard would be best scenario for him. I think like really best best thing for him to do this summer or I guess offseason, whatever you want to call it, would be just kind of put on strength because at times he just kind of gets pushed off the ball a lot or even when he does have the ball, like you mentioned, Matt, he can't really go anywhere because he's just physically limited. Yeah, I mean, in, in that sort of sense, if you're not strong enough, you need to have quickness that overrides that lack of strength. You need to have other overriding physical factors. And you know, he's got a nice handle that can get him into space and that makes him look quicker than he is, but he doesn't have anything overwhelming in terms of other than his you know, really high IQ and passing game. You know, he's always great at that. Man, is there nothing to read into this Janan Musa 13-point performance? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, another another Musa performance where I... Well, I mean, look, like he, he actually played decently last game. This kind of reminds me of when... Um, who was that? TLC had a bunch of points at the end of the Magic game, and I was just yeah. like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't even feel like this is registering right now. Uh, the Musa performance, yeah, it didn't really register with me too much today. But the roadie stuff was a little more interesting. I, I God, I just, like, there's nights... And yeah, I don't even think he had that terrible game per se, but just like nights where I'm like, man, I really just want your IQ to come along a little mm. bit further. Like it's just, it's sometimes a little glaring that he just like kind of doesn't really know what he's doing out there except <laughs> hit threes. Like he can just yeah. weirdly hit threes there and there. And even that's a little inconsistent. And then sometimes you hesitate. And I saw, I think Karis LeVert in this game was like, yo, Rody, shoot the three. And he ended up yeah. like trying to do some crossover in the corner and dribbled off his foot out of bounds. And it was just like, you know, take your shots, understand your game. You got, you know, ways to go. I will say this about him. Every once in a while, he'll make a pass and I'll be like, wow, maybe his field He had for the one game. tonight as well. I think I saw early a yeah. bounce pass to Jared Allen that was like, whoa, yeah. okay, you do that, Rody. Yeah, that was I, cl- I clipped that. I think that so was like, Nick. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. That's where I saw it, yeah. But and in- I was just like, you know, where is this all the time? And it's like, why? where is this defensively too? I just feel like there's so much potential with him. And like, I also feel bad getting mad at him because I think it's easy to forget that like this guy actually didn't even play a ton of basketball when he was young because he had that whole situation where FC Barcelona, where they've sent him down to the, the lower league because he wanted to go to the NBA so he couldn't get minutes. Yeah, it was. I was literally going to bring that up in, in terms of the fact to play like 10 games or something, whereas you compare that, obviously, I'm not comparing, it's apples and oranges here, but like Luka Doncic, who played, if anything, too much basketball, international basketball, basketball, uh, basketball in the Spanish league, and he was just, he was he was NBA ready. We knew that this guy was going to make an impact, whereas Kurutz is, the majority of his basketballing career is coming in the NBA. And rookie that season. I could, <laughs> The, the rookie season uh, where he was you know, so outstanding and in, in moments and, and in bursts and flashes. But uh, guys, I've got nothing. Um, I'll, I'll run out of ideas here. We've talked about the podcast. We've talked about the podcast that uh, KD was on. We've talked about so much. Sean Marks, I think, had a little bit of a, a halftime interview or something. There were, was there any takeaways from that? I, it sounded like he was just talking about the bonding and such. I didn't catch it, to be honest. I saw I like also a few didn't. tweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw like a tweet about it and I was like, yeah, this can't be that important. It's not like catching any heat. I think you're right, Jack. I think it was more so just kind of about like the bubble and how the team is gelled and things working out like that, but nothing much to read into. I, I think I watched, I watched like it was a minute and a half video. The one takeaway I took from it, and it's nothing that really needs in-depth discussion, was that they considered, and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant did consider coming to the bubble. And we heard that about Kyrie Irving as well. That was reported. But obviously, 
they didn't see the need, the 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 positive, the negatives outweigh the positives. Obviously, you can continue your your rehab um, from home and and all of the the rest of the stuff there. And also, you're taking away two spots in the 35 staffers that are available. So if that's an extra trainer or an extra equipment manager, those guys will be providing. Those guys and girls will be providing much more value than not necessarily much more value, but in terms of what the Nets need right now. Uh, we need just bodies and all the development staff, assistant coaching staff with so many weird development young guys on, on the roster. So that was one thing I took away from it. But other than that, I don't know how still, I think maybe it's the presence of Matt that we somehow get to record. We turn a nothing game, a literal 35, 34 point loss into a 34 minute podcast. It's insane. <laughs> We've done it. Well, I don't know what that says about us. Maybe we're a little too <laughs> obsessed with the Nets, but guys, always a pleasure. <laughs> Big thanks to everybody for listening. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, otgbasketball.com, netsplug.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.